0: Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your host Sam Foote
1: and Alan Armstrong.
0: If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Office 365 focused IT security professionals. Each episode, we talk about a specific top topic in the space. This week is episode eight of season two. We're going to have a chat around gaining visibility and securing your multi-cloud environments using Microsoft Defender for Cloud. Hey, Alan. How was your week off? And are you ready to get stuck into securing uh, multi-cloud? Hey
1: Sam, yep, I had a good week off, thanks. Um and yes, definitely uh looking forward to this episode, uh, even though it may take us may not be able to cover everything as always.
0: Maybe... <laughs> yeah, okay, let's um let's not waste any time then. Let's just get stuck um straight into it because um yeah, there is there is quite a lot to, to, to cover here. So um, yeah, as we mentioned, we're going to talk around Microsoft Defender for Cloud. Alan's going to take the role of the expert, and I'm going to fire questions to try and extract as much knowledge that I can from Alan uh, in the next optimistic 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, Alan, um, to start off with then, uh, can you just give us a, a high-level primer on what uh, Microsoft Defender for Cloud is?
1: Short. So, Microsoft Defender for Cloud is a cloud security posture management tool um, with the ability pr- to protect workloads in the cloud. Um, it was originally called Azure Security Center, and all the APIs still say you know Security Center at the moment. Um, but we talked about it in episode in the first season. Um, but since then, uh, Microsoft have invested quite a lot of in you know money and time to bring it up to multi-cloud. That's part of the reason why it was rebranded to Microsoft Defender for Cloud, not Azure. So that it's it's identifying it as a, not just Azure platform, um, even though that's where it sits. Um, And some of the bits that you can get out of it is, like I said, you can protect workloads um, within Azure and some other clouds. Um, but also, you can see your like security posture and um, your regulatory compliance um, that kind of comes from some of the um, the Azure policy we talked about four or five weeks ago.
0: Okay, so um, uh, can you just give us a primer on security posture um, and how Defender for Cloud is giving us that? I assume what you're referring to is sort of visibility of, you know, the security posture of all of our resources inside of um, Azure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Microsoft provides a um, a dashboard um, that allows you to see your 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 security posture. So they give you a percentage out of a hundred, kind of similar to you know a the the Microsoft three hundred and sixty five secure score, where they give they got some recommendations and some standard sort of baseline side of things um, to help you see where you are in your sort of well, in your security posture. Um, within that you know it can be broken down to different areas like you know mf you know where are you with mfa into that environment or um your network configuration um it covers quite a lot of the azure um services well it it does cover all of it but um some of the recommendations that you that it will show to improve your score um yeah they're in there
0: kind of thing so okay great um and so uh what, what you've uh, described so far is it it gives me visibility of my su- security posture um so can it also help me with uh, remediating that if i want to change my security posture
1: yeah so as part of that 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 posture it's obviously um doing checks against the environment at at different various um times kind of what we were saying about the azure policy four or five weeks ago it's a different um at different times um yes, it will give you um, some of those remediation tasks, and within there it will tell you, in effect, the steps you need to take to, to change that configuration or to make that change to that application, et cetera. Um, and some of those tasks um, can be automated. They can be just a one-button click fix, um, and it will just run the 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 API call to, to, to enable a, a setting and things like that, if, if required. Um, but within that posture, um, some of these remediation tasks might not um, might not be required. Um, and I say that in that if, for instance, you're using a third-party like Okta or Ping Identity that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, um, they may be doing the MFA prompts for you as you come over. So Microsoft Defense for Cloud is unable to see that sort of authentication to validate it. So what you can do then is within Defence for Cloud, you can then put exceptions in for a period of time and put a justification so that it's all, you know, audited. Um, there may be other things like, um, a V, you know, a virtual machine requires, um, uh, endpoint protection and it's recommending defender for endpoint. Um, but again, you may have a third party AV that it's not able to detect. So yeah, there's a few things where it, it makes sense to put exceptions in to then, you know, recheck in a year's time, six months time, et cetera.
0: Okay so there's there's um there's there's two parts that I suppose there's there's Microsoft's um sort of opinion and best practice that which you may want to uh, exclude and and ignore and you know you you might want to have your own take on things and then there's also there is an inherent um um there's an inherent um a part of that which is uh, the, the the computer can't know everything, uh, or the, the scanner can't know everything about your environment. So it might be, um, you know, uh, an exemption needs to go in place in order to uh, to, to to bypass some of its limitations. You know, um,
1: yeah, yeah, and and that exception exemption is, you know, the reason for exempting is that you say, you, know, I have a third party product that's doing it. Exactly, it's yeah. not. I'm ex- exempting because I don't I don't care about it, kind yeah. of thing. It's you've validated at that time that you've got the controls in place yeah, and then you will just put the exception in.
0: So it's, it's, it's going to, sh- it's going to give you visibility of your sort of problem areas. Yeah. Which, which might be false positives, right? They might not actually be problem areas. So it's, it's going to give you, it's going to give you either advice on how to remediate or help you to automatically remediate. And then it's also going to give you the ability to sort of override its, you know, its, its recommendation and say, you know, no, that's not actually, you know, the, the case in, in, in my scenario.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And within, within a, within Azure, you know, if you're using management groups, you can see it at the management group levels as well. So if you've got a production environment, you can see all those subscriptions within that environment and the, the, um, aggregated like, uh, posture score and things like that. Um, one thing we probably haven't covered, we've talked about posture store, is the regulatory compliance, um there is a separate section in defend for cloud that allows you to choose your if you've got them deployed so defend for cloud can deploy them for you or you can use as your policy as we talked about with you Sam um like i said three or four five weeks ago now um to do that and it will show you all the controls in a maybe uh, maybe a nicer view for a, for a ciso and things like that to be able to go into a portal and see it because you can You can export a report, a a a, um, yeah, C suite, in effect, C suite report that's like high level about what you what you're covered on as well.
0: Yeah, I think what uh, Defender for Cloud is really good at, um, sort of versus policy, is really having that dashboard and single pane of glass view, right? I I do think it's it's really well constructed in in terms of how intuitive it is to drill down and to explore inside of that uh, that product right and um and i think we we, we use it a lot as well we in 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 addition to to policy to to get uh, greater visibility uh, right we might use policy to do the you know uh, locking down and putting you know um, you know um, compliance in place uh, but actually defender for cloud is a is a really good one stop place to to see everything in in, in one go Exactly. Okay, cool. So, um, so what environments can be connected to um, Defender for Cloud?
1: So, as people may know, that you know, Azure Security Center probably was only Azure at the time, and then there was some functionality to to talk to Amazon Web Services (AWS) and Google Cloud Platform (GCP), um, where in effect you spun up their security tooling. Um, in that environment, and then in effect pulled the the information from there to defend for cloud. Um, but now with uh, probably uh, October, November time last year, um, they brought out sort of native um, cloud security posture management. So instead of using a, you know, a first-party tool in that cloud, they're doing it directly now. So the connections then... You know, in effect, when you connect them, it's pulling, it's scanning the, the environment, um, or environments, and then bringing that information or high level information against into defend for cloud to then, you know, um, benchmark against a, uh, a regulatory compliance. So that could be CIS, NIST, PCI SS, et cetera. Um, so that's, and that's, um, at the moment, and I believe it's still going to stay is that is free. To do that CSPM sort of scan or view of those environments, and it brings them into the same dashboard, and you can see a percentage against you know those three clouds. Um, so that's really good for from the cloud environment, but also using Azure Arc, um, you can bring um, on-premise um, servers um, into. Into Azure, which then means they can potentially benefit from some of the the security
0: workloads. Okay, so so really, it well as, as you said with the rebrand and rename, it, it is really a standalone product from Azure, right? Azure itself is just another environment for Defender for Cloud to actually access. You know, we're, we're actually talking about a system that can bring in. You know, multiple environments into one single security, like uh, pane of glass, um, so, so to speak.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when we start talking about the work, the, the protective workloads and things like that, um, there's obviously a lot more for Azure because it's first party in effect. But the the other clouds are, you know, improving you know, rapidly um, with you know capability.
0: Okay, so um, so it seems it seems almost too good to be true that we can connect all of these, you know, seemingly different environments into one place. Um, how hard is it actually to, to to connect these? What does a a deployment look like? Do I need to get somebody like you in to do it? So
1: I think previously with the old connectors, there's obviously a lot more infrastructure on the third party clouds to set up. So it, it did take quite some time to to set up. And there was a, well, potentially there was an additional cost on that side, because you have to spin up those security products to be running. Um, with the new connectors, um, you can bring one of us in. Um, but generally, it's not too difficult to create a connection for for AWS. You know, it's just a um understanding you know the, the account n- number um and then deploying a a cloud formation um template to then create that connection and then which in effect it's just building um it's just creating um some roles within that environment read only roles for so that azure can can read you know the information or scan the environment um gcp is similar in that it generates a script for you and that you can just deploy that script to the project. Um, but what I will also say is that for both AWS and GCP, if you've got for AWS an organizational account and, well, it, it, organizational account, you can just target that one and it will allow you to do the CSPM across all accounts attached to it. But you can't do the protective workloads at that level. It has to be per account. So there's, if if you know if you do if you've got that organizational account you've got hundreds I say tens of hundreds of accounts then that's probably the best way to get that visibility quickly um, GCP is similar in that in, there isn't really an organizational account or project um, but what it does do if you want to do it that way is it will build a new project that becomes the the all seeing for, for, for Defend for 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 Cloud and then it's able to read all the other projects.
0: Um, Can you just quickly explain to me what you mean by a protective workload? And and, because you just used it in the context of there is um, you could, if you used it on, say, the root um, uh, um, account for AWS or the organ I can't remember what it's called. It's organizational root account of of AWS, then you would only get CSPM, wouldn't you? And and posture, cloud platform posture management. But then you said um, we wouldn't be able to uh, enable protective workloads. So could you just give me just a really brief thing on what protective workloads are at a high level.
1: Yeah, sure and this is probably the bit that we could probably speak for an hour, 2 hours on anyway, but okay. um yeah, so protective workloads are um services that you can that you pay for um within the different clouds that allow you to in, in effect protect that service. So um if we talk about the other clouds because uh, Azure there's about 11 or 12 to briefly go through, so AWS and GCP are very fairly similar. So you can protect your um, servers in either of those. So that is um, in effect via Azure Arc to see the um, to get the logs from them is is one potential, but also to um, deploy Defender for Cloud, uh, Defender for Endpoint even to it because it's that's part of that license. Um, it also allows you to. Um, run vulnerability assessments against the operating system. And there's a few other bits in there. Um, The other areas are um, databases and containers. So most of this is um, Kubernetes databases and SQL server on the compute or the the EC2 machines. So it's able to do vulnerability scans and things like that against them and look for potential attacks. so that's the AWS and GCP, and that is growing, you know, quite, you know, quite quite rapidly. Um, with Azure, you've got the server workload, the same, you know, with virtual machines and on premise servers. Um, you've got app service databases, which includes, you know, all the um, or majority of the database available on Azure, so you know Azure SQL database, open source relation databases, and CosmoDB um it also includes sql server on machines so that includes if you've got sql server running on a on a and on a, on a azure virtual machine but also on premise um, it covers storage counts containers key vaults resource manager and dns um, so some of these is more around um securing um or looking at the transactions happening on those services and and doing um, potential you know, detecting potential threats. Some of it is actually um, doing vulnerability assessments. So with SQL, you can run a vulnerability assessment against the database itself to see if there's some misconfiguration in there. Um, and, and things like uh, DNS, it's looking at um, what your uh, virtual machines are talking to and if they're trying to um, you know, go out to the internet and things like that. Um, the server workload in at least in Azure and, um, AWS, um, there are, there is like four or five different features within that, you know, things like just in time access. So you can open up ports just when you need them. Um, and that you can do that now in AWS, I believe. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's tons there and we could talk about it for, for, for ages.
0: So when you're talking about, a uh, like a protected, uh, protective or protected workload, um, you're not just talking about the, you know, the security posture of the platform itself or what you can configure via the portals, you're actually drilling down to those actual resources and getting specific insights from them. So like you've, you've used the examples of say servers, you know, being able to deploy a uh, defender for endpoint onto them and to get their logs and to understand like what's the configuration of the machine itself, not just... Say it's firewall rules in Azure. You know, if that if that makes sense, you are yeah. actually diving into those. Um, and so, okay, so so that that seems really powerful, and I think you mentioned it uh, uh, briefly in there. Uh, but how is that? How is it licensed? Um, and and it, it, I assume that I, I don't know. Uh, t- tell me, tell me how things are, are licensed in the Defender for Cloud world. So,
1: in Defender for Cloud, it's generally per per server or. Per X amount of transactions, depending on the service. So, if it's a physical machine, then it's per server. Um, if it's like, for example, Key Vault or Resource Manager, it's per transaction. It, it scans and it, and generally, I think. So, for as your Resource Manager, it's for every four million transactions or API calls so that's you going through the portal things changing within the portal. Um, it's like four dollars per month or $4 per 4 million transactions, which is insane. Unless you were really doing a lot of, you know, API calls, a lot of changes, you wouldn't really see that. Um, same thing with like key Vault, where it's, where it's by transaction, storage count, same thing, transactions in and out. Um, and again, it's in the thousands or the hundred thousand, things like that. Um, yeah, majority of it is, is based on, it depends on what it is. So I think app services per app service itself. And some of the other ones, like the Azure SQL or the SQL Server on machine, is is a bit different. It's more around per per instance, and I think it's per CPU core as well. So it can get a bit confusing. But when you um, go in to um, Defender for Cloud, you can um, there is a workbook you can use, and it will tell you the estimated cost because it can see all that those statistics. So you can see, oh, it would cost me if I enable Defender for Server then it would cost me this much per month. And again, we could talk about it for ages um, because there's also some benefits if you've got Sentinel with SQL with Defender f- or for the server workload that you can save some money in, in Sentinel as well. We could, you know, there's there's loads of different sort of benefits. Um, but yeah, so you can see it and you can turn on workloads um, per subscription, um, but everything in that subscription if you enable the, the, the defender for server workload, then everything in that subscription, that's a server will be automatically added and billed for. So you can't pick and choose certain servers within a subscription, not unless you've got separate subscriptions and then you can do it by the, the, the subscription itself.
0: Okay. So licensing is done at a subscription level with all of those, you know, whatever resources there are for those protective workloads inside yep. of there. Um, is there a trial that I can t- test it out with? How how does um, how do you how do you sort of start to onboard with it?
1: Yeah, exactly. So yes, there is a trial for thirty days when you first um, go in there on a subscription, and you can enable it. Um, it allows you to use all the workloads. Um, like I said, the the cloud security posture management majority of it is free. Um, the only bit that isn't is the regulatory compliance. Um, so to to enable that um the the cheapest way to do it is to enable the azure resource manager because it's going to be you're never going to spend four dollars i don't think not unless you're uh, you know it is a massive environment
0: okay and um so is there a is there a free version of defender for cloud that you can use or is it all is it either trial and licensed or you know because i suppose there's the cspm part of it is is that is that just the sort of free tier element that that we've got?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So that's the only bit that's sort of free. You, the the bits you can do with that is you'll get all the remediation tasks and things like that for your Azure and for the other environments. Um, but you will be able to do the um, Azure security benchmark because that is a free sort of. Um, uh, it's not it's not regulatory compliance, but it is a standard that Microsoft have, which is based on some of those regulatory compliances. And again, we could talk about talk talk about that uh, for for quite some time. But has yeah, um,
0: its own thing, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so um, in terms of, can, can we just um, talk about how an organization might utilize the output of Defender for Cloud? Right, so. So I'm a security team, you know, working on an enterprises, you know, Azure, well, not just Azure, I need to forget about that. It's not Azure Security Center (laughs) anymore, it's it's everything. But I'm a security team. Um, You know, um, do do the owners of these subscriptions, what sort of permissions do I need to be able to view the Defender for Cloud output? You know, is it... Is it just one team in my organization that you would scope it down to? Or would you actually have, say, the owners of resources, resource groups and subscriptions actually looking at this information as well?
1: Yeah, so from a from a RBAC perspective, um, you only need reader access to view the scores and the regulatory compliance. Um, to be able to do any of the um, exceptions and a few other bits or enabling some of the workloads, you need security admin. Um, but who should look at it? Well, you should definitely, you know, allow the, the owners and the, the users of those subscriptions, but you're right. It should be probably other people, you know, the security teams, um, that are looking after that environment. You may even may or may not want to, but you may even want someone from the C-suite that has a, a vested interest in that environment. You know, maybe it's the, it is the, the the um the cio or the the ciso um that needs to make sure that you know we are going in the right way with it and maybe they just see that 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 single pane of glass across all of their cloud environment um to be able to see that you know we are increasing our secure score we're at a good level because you know getting to 100% is you know it would be great but you know how much resource do you need to put in to get to that what's acceptable from a from that
0: perspective
1: um but yeah because do, yeah.
0: do you do you see security posture as a journey then that people will go on right because um i suppose in order to remediate and to improve you have to be able to observe and gain visibility so defender for cloud is giving us that isn't it it's going right, to it's going gonna, it's gonna to benchmark our environment it's going to you know um you know um show us the the good and the bad you know from that environment and then at that point, you know, it's going to help you to plan and help you to move the needle um, over time. You know, um, we've talked about secure score and there's there's many different viewpoints of secure score, but let's just take secure score as, you know, a valuable metric. Um, uh, how, let's say I'm a, let's say I scan, and I'm a 50%, let's say, right? Um, how how do you approach with a, uh talking to a customer or client um about how you plan that remediation and, and 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 sort of what what level should you go to you know are you aiming it's out of 100% right so so like you know what what is reasonable for 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 companies to 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 go through
1: well i think it's 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 dependent on the organization because you know and it depends how big I guess some of the resource, how big the environment is as well, because it depends how you've got to kind of, you've got to understand what the risks it's identifying from the, the remediation tasks. Cause some of them, I guess you can, you can, you may be mitigating the risk yourself, or you can take that, take that risk. It may be the risk is small to make that change, but to make that change is a is a huge impact to a product, maybe, um, because some of this stuff is, you know, it it's it's easy to enable. So you know, one of them is, you know, we um, st- we we'll, we'll always talk about storage accounts because it's the the bane of everyone's sort of cloud environments. A hundred percent is that you know, at the moment um, you're using a public storage account to push data into. And it's not going over a, a VNet or a network; it's going from the application that might be third-party into into it. Now, you know the recommendation is to to not use public storage accounts, and you know you have a there you have a potential mechanism to move it onto onto the VNet or to onto a network, but you've now got to ask the developers to re-engineer what they talk to or re. Restructure the the architecture of that app. You know, it's not a, a whilst it's just a flick of a switch from one side. You know, the impact of that is you know app stops working. So there's a you know there's a bigger impact on other changes. So it's definitely a, a journey. Um, there are there are quick wins. There are ones that are um, you know. Uh, app service and um, enabling FTT, F, uh, SFTP, you know, instead of FTP only. Um, that may interrupt how um, builds get pushed up, but that's probably a simple configuration change from a client end, um, or you're not using it, so you can just turn it on just to make sure that you you're protecting. Um so there are, you know, there are quick wins. Um, we've been we've been there, and you know, some of it is relatively. Easy to improve that score, and you know some of it might just be enabling MFA. You know, we all you know there are organizations out there that haven't sort of done that yet, or in the process. But you know, enabling MFA, you know, potentially stops that the the bad actor from getting onto the portal to do whatever they need to. So it's high impact. Well, it's 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 high increase in security, but you know, relatively low impact. So the the, re- the, the remediation tasks give some guidance on how many points they will increase and what percentage increase they will have to that score. So you can start to prioritize some of that if you want to you know, jump the score up in big numbers. But sometimes those remediation tasks are the easiest to do, but from an actual security perspective are not re- irrelevant, but, uh, you know, they're... they're they don't really help with your attack surface too much. Um, so there's a bit of that. Um, with that, um, I guess it's different when we look at regulatory compliance because you know, organisation need to meet those 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 um, those controls. But again, it is, it is all broken down into you know, control one a, part b. These are the record the room mediation tasks to to make that part compliant
0: it's almost more simplistic with a regulatory compliance framework because you've got those controls that have are the opinions of other people that you're all agreeing to follow whereas you know the secure score is an arbitrary number in effect you know that is prioritized by microsoft so it is sometimes harder to make to 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 have people understand what that secure score really means and what a good benchmark of secure score because you know if you think about people that maybe work in like the net promoter world and things like that they might be looking at like you know they might think that a good benchmark is 90 percent for nps you know that promoter score is like i've got to be over 90 i've got to be over 90 then they get benchmark at you know um secure score and it's like 46 <laughs> do you know what i mean and that's like that's half of where they think they need to be if that makes sense you know um and and I'm sure, you know, there is room for improvement and low hanging fruit at 46, uh, right? You know, um, because like, is it like MFA is like 17 points, 17% or something like that? It's quite high, isn't it? It's, 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 it, it can it's huge, be depending it? on
1: how much yeah. variety of workload you have in the environment. So if you're yeah. using a lot of different Azure resources, yeah. then that, that obviously that percentage is less. Yeah, um,
0: exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that there are some, like, like Alan said, some really, um, uh, quick wins. Um, is there any other aspects to Defender for Cloud you think we've 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 missed or or not talked about? I think you've, I think you've got through those bits, um, really well. I I can't, I can't think of anything <laughs> else, um, on so Defender for Cloud, um, that that you haven't already covered.
1: So I I do. Um, one part is they've recently brought in, um is a governance piece so this gives you the ability per subscription to um give those remediation tasks to certain users um, so you can say so from the the re- uh, remediation tasks you can select all of them or specific ones to maybe a a type of service let so say sql um, and you can say when a resource, you know, if, if it's new or if it's current and, and someone's made a change and it becomes non-compliant, then it can be the remediation task can be assigned to somebody. And you can set um, criteria like they have 14 days to remediate um, and they're allowed to extend that, but they have to give a justification why. So, you know, from a regulatory compliance or um, the security, the, the, the posture score, the security posture, you can see where people are with those remediation tasks and if they're out of, you know, overdue and, and things like that. Um, and you can do that via, um, you can also do that via if this resource has an owner tag or a tag with a email address in it. So going back to tagging, whenever we, we did that with uh, cloud standardization, um, you can, you know, in effect, if something is already tagged with with an owner, then we can just use that to to start assigning these these tasks, and that owner can then give it to someone else in their team. So maybe it's the you know the the team lead of SQL, and then they pass it on to one of their um, their colleagues. Um, so it just gives that ability to track where people are with that remediation and if they've completed it. Um, so that's that's coming recently.
0: So that's going to give a life cycle and management to those remediation tasks, right? You know, you're actually going to be able to keep people engaged on that journey, aren't you? You know, assign it to somebody, all um, agree some sort of timescale for it to be in place by because, you know, some of these remediations might not be absolute priority because, you know, they're potentially best practice and and not actually being actively exploited or anything like that. So you can agree okay alan's got um his app service that he needs to uh remediate let's assign him a task and give him a a reasonable deadline you know that we can all work towards some sort of timeline so that we can keep everybody happy um and then we can uh keep the whole team honest in terms of their progress and moving things along because these things can get pushed to the wayside can't they um that does happen and Especially when things aren't being actively exploited, and you know it's it's more of a best practice, regulatory compliance, you know, uh, a a golden achievement because you know you you maybe bring in in some sort of regulatory compliance that needs to be in by a certain date because you're having your first, you know, maybe you're having your first um um audit at some point. You know, you you bring in twenty seven thousand and one, you've got the auditors coming in, you know, the end of the year. Um, you, you have to make sure you're remediated up and and, and get yourself um, ready to go, you know, at that point, right? So this is going to handle that, that, that life cycle for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Really and, and it also helps with, um, you know, going to those regulatory compliance audits and showing that you're at least attempting to get them remediated. You've got the plan, you know, yes, you may be, you may not, you may only be 60% compliant on NIST as an example, but You've got the plan of what you need to do, at least you're not like, "Oh, yeah, I think I'm sixty percent, and I don't know kind of thing at least you've got a visibility
0: well, the worst place to be is with absolutely no visibility, right? yes, you know, because first comes visibility, then comes plan you know and strategy on how you're going to do it, and then comes the remediation, isn't it you know and um and like you just said there, is the visibility seems from what you've described to me visibility is relatively simplistic to enable. You know, a lot of it is just, you know, uh, turn it on and maybe pay for it, you know, if you if you need to do that. And then, you know, you can work on your remediation strategy and it's got all of the helpers in it to to, to help you to facilitate that as well with your, you know, resource owners. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the other part I haven't, we haven't really talked about is we talked about the protective workloads and they're, you know, they're doing, you know, they're protecting, you know, Key vaults and storage accounts, etc., and SQL. Um, but it does generate if there are potential, you know, attacks or tries, then it does generate alerts. So you do see those, and you can get those sent to an email address. Um, but also, you can integrate it into Microsoft Sentinel, so then you can get alerting into your SOC or to your third-party SOC to see those those um, potential attacks. So. If you've got so the example is if you've got virtual machines with um, management ports open, you know SSH or three three eight nine, and people are probing it, it will give you an alert with the information about you know what country it's coming from and you know potentially it is an attack because they're like scanning and things like that. And same probably I think with your app services and things like that, it will tell you if they're doing scans against the you know the public IP addresses.
0: Okay, so it's not just configuration; it is also behavioural analysis as well, and you know, capturing alerts that can be fed into other, you know, like your, you know, your, uh, your, your, your Sentinel, seams, yeah. your, your seams to give you, you know, visibility of the, you know, um, the the security incidents that you may be, you know, undertaking, you know, having in your your business. Yeah, that's that's really powerful.
1: Yeah, and you know, you have got the portal and that. Um... And I said about the work. There's some work. There's some work. There's a workbook in there for costing, but um, there is also quite a few APIs on Microsoft Graph or the Management Graph um, Management um, Azure um, endpoint that allows you to potentially you know, pull this information out as well. If you wanted to you know, generate your own reports, or if you needed some other dashboarding, or even just get a list out, you know, without having to try and export it from the portal.
0: Okay, yeah. So if you've got, say, another way that you want to manage it, maybe use Jira, and you wanted to bring it into there is a list of, you know, actions to track against people. There are ways to get this information out. It is relatively open in terms of, you know, pulling, yeah, it, it, information out.
1: Yeah, and I think it's all in the, um, is it the Azure Graph Explorer. Yeah, is that yeah, yeah, in there, and and the Azure Graph Explorer also has all of the the other clouds environment uh, information as well going into there. So then you can, you can, you can analyze all of it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Um, any other bits that you want to explain to, to people, Alan, you, you, you're still five minutes under, you know, our, our estimated <laughs> time, so I think you've done really well to get through it so far. Um, I,
1: I probably rushed to, uh, make sure I got all the key stuff in thinking I was going to overrun. So, um, bad planning for me, I guess, or maybe good planning. I don't know. Um, no, it seems great. Uh, I guess talking about, if we talk about one of the secure workloads for, for five minutes, we'll try and keep it within five minutes. Um, and that's the the Azure workload and, and server. And I kind of mentioned it before, um, but there's quite a lot of benefit there. So there's two plans for it. There's a plan one and a plan two. Plan one is to give you um, Defender for Endpoint um, to license servers. And that's on-premise servers as well, using Azure Arc. Um, there's been an announcement that in, I can't remember where it was now in six months or 12 months time, you potentially won't be able to get the, the defender for server or def- Defender for endpoint for server license. Um, you know, n- without going through Defender for cloud, um, so it'll all be licensed through that. So that's the so that's plan one. Plan two then gives you all the other benefits. So that is, um, network hardening. Um, I'm not going to remember all these. Um, file integrity, and um, what I was talking about before that. Um, for each serve Windows server well, for each server, but primarily the benefits on Windows servers, that any of the security logs that come from it that go into a log analytics. So for Sentinel. Um, you get 500 megabytes of ingestion per day included, and if so, if your server is is you know is a domain controller, it's probably going to be doing more than that. But that um, 500 meg per day is something like oh, I think it's like 23 pounds a a month or or 40 pounds. So, and I think the 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 skew for that that license in Defender for Cloud for plan two is like fifteen dollars. So it's it's it almost pays for itself and more.
0: Um yeah because if you if you were to manually ingest via um without going through uh Defender for end like you know through Defend for this, cloud, yeah. Defender for Cloud you'd pay more money wouldn't you? So you actually save quite a considerable yes, amount yes it's of cost
1: money. cost yeah. neutral but that's based on you ingesting the full amount. If you're only doing like a hundred meg, then it, it doesn't, it, it's still like a, it's, it's a saving, but not enough, but okay, got it. Yeah. it It then becomes a little bit confusing, confusing, complicated in that for each server, you go, you know, um, have this benefit for that's going into that log analytics. So say you've got 10 servers, that's five gig a day ingestion for servers. It is aggregated across all servers. So if you've got some quiet servers and some really loud, you know, noisy servers, then it's the total for that table in effect. So actually, if you've got some, you know, some servers that are doing, you know, say you've got two domain trials that are doing, you know, two gig each, that's four gig, and then the others are just fitting in that space, you're gonna save quite a bit there. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. It's and the savings only on the if we're talking about sentinel, it's only the the savings only on the log analytics piece. It's not on the sentinel piece. You still got to pay the sentinel piece, but in effect, you're paying half for those bits. So it is a saving still. Um, and if you're going defender for Endpoint, point, then you're making even more of a saving there.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's 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 really good. And and I think like you mentioned before, you know, there are nuances to these. You know the protect. You know the workloads that you pay for. There are benefits to each, and nuances, and and what you get out of it, right? So yeah, it, yeah. it can be, it can be a little, um, a little complex to take, you know, a, an organization through that thought process to to what to what to enable and when and and, and, and things like that, right? It's not just yeah. a I'll just switch it all on at fifteen dollars a month because there <laughs> are well, there's different. You know, there's different. Well there's two different plans, isn't there, for servers. So yeah. you might actually decide you might have to want to have a conversation about right, okay, let's just go plan one for the moment because we don't need those ex- that extra functionality, X, Y, and Z, you know. So there is there is a little bit um to decide when you're going through that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And it's yeah, like you say, it's not really a turn everything on and see because potentially there could be a there could be a large bill. You do have to check costings and understand. I Guess prioritize which workloads you want to
0: enable. Okay, great. Um, anything else you want to take uh, people through, Alan? No, I
1: think that's probably it in the the quick quick view of it. The only thing actually to say is that Microsoft, like I said before, Microsoft have been investing lots of you know money into this and and time and engineering time. Um, I've been part of the the private previews and the private preview community. And I've seen a lot of the the upcoming stuff coming, which I can't talk about. But I know that from you know, work workloads for Azure, there is four, maybe five new workloads coming for various things that, that aren't covered yet. Um, and that it's 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 quite exciting about seeing them because yeah you know, we've we we've done some testing on some of those and some of the stuff that's come out now, like the the governance piece i was talking about you know i was one of the product preview you know people that were looking at it so you can get involved as well um it's not just down to um microsoft partners things like that it can be customers as well provided you've got ndas in place with them um
0: but yeah okay Cool. Yeah. So I think it's just positive to see that this is an area that is rapidly expanding, and they're investing into. There's there's more and more t- you know uh, technology coming through, um, which is almost just you know some of it is just you know extra capability just being added to to it automatically, right? So yeah, it's a great it's a great product to um, to, to, to to look at. Okay. So let's do a little bit of reflection. Let me just uh, mirror back to you what I think you've told me. And we'll see how see how wrong I am. Um, so Microsoft Defender for Cloud, um, it's it, it's not just Azure; it's also multi-cloud and even on-prem. So you know, it's almost a standalone product in its own. I know it lives in Azure, but it is you know it does connect many different environments and systems. Um, it's it's relatively easy to connect you know to 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 gain that visibility you know uh, as you said the the CSPM the, the um the cloud platform element of it is free kind of a no brainer to enable it you know why why wouldn't you really um um and it gives you that visibility across um it can potentially give you visibility across your whole estate well a large part of it you know and and as we've talked about um uh, many times before you know, visibility is a really important aspect um, to the cloud because you 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 know there can be a lot in there and it can be complex. Um gives you a single play pane viewpoint of um your security posture. So we've got security score as a, a relatively simplistic metric. Um but then also we've got the breakdown into regulatory compliance if if that's something that your organization is aligned to. Um also gives you the ability to view the remediation that you need to do so microsoft will give you the guidance um on on that um it will give you the guidance on the remediation that should take place and it will also give you the governance and support on how to um to enlist people inside your organization or your wider team maybe your partners and, and things like that to actually um to track remediation and give people roles and responsibilities with uh, remediation um and I mentioned it a bit at the start, um it's not just cloud, it can also protect on premise workloads as well, um, which is um which is an important distinction in the the hybrid cloud world, you know, because it is it is it is pretty rare, you know, for a large organization to be cloud only, right? And to have absolutely nothing on prem. So Microsoft is thinking about that and, and making sure that they've got as much visibility as, you know, currently possible. Okay, so um, anything else that I've missed there, Alan? That you want to clarify or tell me that I'm <laughs> wrong about?
1: No, I think I think that was right, and it's just reiterating that Microsoft are putting a heavy investment in in this product yep. and in developing it for you know multi cloud.
0: Okay, great. Um, so yeah, so um, next episode um, we are going to talk around Entra permissions management. Um, Microsoft recently made an acquisition um, and uh, permissions management is now being included under the new sort of Entra um, brand, if I call it, umbrella brand. Um, So uh, permissions management uh, comes from a product called Cloud Knox, which was an acquisition from Microsoft, and it can give you... Sort of insane visibility in terms of your, you know, your permissions creep inside of Azure and not just Azure. multi Cloud, isn't it? Right. So we've got Azure, AWS, and GCP. So, um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk. We've had we've had a bit of time to play with um, permissions management um, and to kind of understand the the value that it can give you. So we've we've spent a bit of time digesting it before uh, running an, an episode on it because it is um, it is relatively new to us um, and, and new to every... Well, in terms of in, in Microsoft, it's it's very new, right? So, um, so yeah. So, yeah, so if you've in, enjoyed this episode, um, please do consider subscribing uh, if you'd like to listen to more of this sort of content in the future. Uh, we have many co- topics that we'd like to cover and your listens and support is what will continue to fuel the podcast going forward.
1: We also have the ability uh, for you to give us feedback. Uh, You know, did you enjoy this episode? Did I miss something? Is there something else you want us to dive into? Maybe it's the workloads. Um, So, yes. And even if, you know, that you want to tell us that, um, you know, we weren't great on this episode or, you know, we need, you know, uh, critical feedback is also uh, okay, you know, um yes so in the show notes there is a link there to to a form where you can fill your you know fill out your your feedback um and then we can we can take a look at it
0: cool great well thanks very much for that alan that was a great whistle stop tour you did great on the timings as well (laughs) so yeah everybody thanks you for that so yeah um thanks alan and, and thanks everybody for listening uh catch you on the next one
1: yes thanks for listening hope you enjoyed it and speak to you soon Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye.